find your passion and pick a product in your passion and learn how to either make it low or buy it low and sell it high. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. Okay, everyone, today we have David Meltzer, who is a top executive business coach and keynote speaker slash CEO and co-founder of Sports One Marketing. He's got a lot going on on his plate, and we're going to let him talk about it in a second. But David, first and foremost, how's it going? Amazing. Every day gets better and better. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being here. So yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story, kind of who you are and and what you do? Yeah, you know, I grew up uh, a poor one of six children and with one goal to be rich and went through a series of uh, different career paths. One was to be a professional football player and that got smashed my freshman year in college when I got ran over by Christian Okoye, uh-huh. uh, who later became <laughs> the Nigerian nightmare. And then wanted to be a doctor and quickly realized from my older brother, as I told him, I didn't like hospitals, that in life you have to be more interested than interesting. And I see as the later on in my career, I became the CEO of the most notable sports agency in the world, Lee Steinberg. So many people come up to me and said, I want to be a sports agent just like you, Mr. Meltzer, just like you, Mr. McGuire from Jerry Maguire. But they're just not more interested than interesting. They're what I call surface players. And so it's a very valuable lesson that I learned. So I diverted my attention to the law, ended up, uh, understanding another lesson, you know, as my mom told me, I was going to had two job offers to be a real lawyer. The second was to sell legal research online. And my mom told me to be a real lawyer because the internet would be a fad. Mm. Uh, I learned another lesson there that uh, just because someone loves you doesn't mean they give you good advice. Um, but moreover from there, I got into technology, became eventually CEO of Samsung's first phone, their first smartphone called the PCE phone. And uh, became a millionaire nine months out of law school, and I, I was rich. Unfortunately, I didn't understand the values uh, that my mom taught me, and I ended up surrounding myself with the wrong people and the wrong ideas and ended up losing everything, which was the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, later, like I said, became CEO of Lee Steinberg Sports Entertainment, and 10 years ago, partnered with Warren Moon, who was a client of Lee's and a partner of Lee's, And we created this great global marketing company, which holds three great brands. Uh, One is Warren Moon. Two is my new brand of Dave Meltzer with books and speaking and coaching and TV shows and podcasts. And then finally, uh, the S1M brand itself, which is sponsorship and media. Uh, So we uh, are very pleased with where we're going and extremely excited from where we've been as well. Great, that's wonderful. And you said, I mean, when you when you became uh, so when you became that millionaire uh, CEO of Samsung's first smartphone division, how old were you? Thirty two. So I become a millionaire at twenty five, right out of law school, 
and uh, worked for West Publishing. We got bought out by Thomson Reuters for $3.4 billion and really parlayed that into a technology career, even though I had no technology background, just experience. I really was just a maritime oil and gas lawyer who got involved in technology early on and continued to get situational knowledge, skills, knowledge, and had the passion to become a key executive in technology. Wonderful. And just so people know, too, I mean, because we typically will talk about revenues, growth rates, customers, things like that on, on this podcast. I mean, when you because uh, you hear a lot of people when, when they say they became like uh, a millionaire, uh, how many millions are we talking about roughly? You don't need to give me, give me an exact number. I just want people to have like a, a range. Yeah. So, I mean, I made my first million dollars nine months out of law school. When I retired from Samsung, I had over a hundred million dollars in assets. So that includes cash and paper. And I ended up losing it all. Uh, like I said, so I've, I've built it back. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. I, I like talking about the, the struggle, right? So, I mean, how did somebody go from a hundred million dollars where you're, you're, you're set, right. To losing it all. Uh, can we get a little more specific there? Yeah. So not only was I surrounding myself with the wrong people and the wrong ideas, doing the wrong things, but I wasn't more interested than interesting. Meaning I had a lot of real estate and I owned a golf course, a ski mountain, over 33 properties. And on paper, I had plenty of equity. What I didn't understand because I didn't take any mentors on and I always plead with people, no matter how successful you are, always have at least three mentors, three people that sit in the situation that you want to be in, that carry the situational knowledge experience, have paid the dummy tax for you. You should always have those three people in your lives. And so for me, I own this great golf course but I never asked one person that owned a golf course or one person in real estate how exactly I should leverage my asset. And so what happened was in the great crash of 2008, no matter if I had equity or not, the banks weren't in a position, nor would they allow me to borrow money. And because I got involved in some lawsuits, because I got my ego in the way, because I did not follow my core values, I ended up not being able to access the capital and equity that I had. And therefore, in order to save all those people that I owed money to, I claimed bankruptcy just to clean a slate, not to pay off debts. So I actually, you know, gave all my assets in a bankruptcy so that I didn't owe anyone any money. And then I settled my lawsuits as well. So I could start fresh and, uh, you know, start over where instead of trying to take value from people that I wake up in the morning, pray to God that they put 10 people that he puts 10 people in front of me that I can help. I live of service. I try to only provide value all day long. I'm not lazy. I don't sit at home high on my mom's couch. I actually only focus in on all day long being of service and providing value. And I don't mean I'm not, I'm a compassionate capitalist. I believe in making a lot of money, helping a lot of people and having a lot of fun. And it's a different perspective and I make more money than I ever have. Interesting. I think that's an incredible story. I, I mean, I'm, I'm also curious in, in terms of like, when you lose a hundred million, like you've, you've, you have a clean slate completely. I mean, what's going kind of, you, you've, you've wiped everything clean. What's going on through your head at that point? Because you're literally starting from ground zero again, right? Yeah, well, it's funny because people say you started from ground zero. I didn't start from ground zero because I had learned so much. So when I graduated law school, I consider that 
ground zero because I had $100,000 of loans. I had no real business experience. I didn't really have any relationship capital, any powerful relationships. I was applying to jobs at ground zero when I was in law school. You know, when I went bankrupt, you know, I had done a lot of good things for a lot of good people. I had learned a ton and, and had a tremendous experience. And so what I did is I wasn't worried about making money because I obviously had a gift. I call it an unconscious competency to attract money into my life. What I really wanted to learn was two things. One, how to maintain my wealth. So I studied Rockefeller and Vanderbilt and I studied people like Wayne Dyer and the power of intention and different laws of the universe. And I studied all types of different treaties and history because I wanted to learn the human nature behind money. So when I put those two things together, then I started living my life in a different direction, knowing that I needed to find the quickest path to revenue. And I'm going to give you, because I, you know, for your show and all your great listeners and followers, the best piece of advice that I can give. And this is what I, you know, specialize in as a business coach. I'm one of the top business coaches in the world. I've been trained by Marshall Goldsmith, who, in my opinion, is the top business coach in the world, coaching, you know, CEOs of Ford, Boeing, Golf Oil. But the best piece of advice that I can give you is find your passion and pick a product in your passion and learn how to either make it low or buy it low and sell it high. It's the easiest way to make money. So if, if you're passionate about tennis shoes, find out and be more interested than interesting. Go ahead and start a tennis shoe business of whatever kind and learn how to buy or make tennis shoes low and sell them high. Create a margin. If you like real estate, if you like accounting, if you like you know cars, if you like windshield wipers, if you like working out, whatever it is, the easiest way that I saw to make money was to find something that I enjoy, something I was passionate about, and then figure out how to make a margin from it, right? Buy low, sell high, make low, sell high. And so when I lost everything, I went to the people that had influence. I didn't know them. And I literally just started asking people, hey, what do you need? What can I do for you? How can I be of service? And I usually met them in a charitable event or aspect that I was volunteering at. And lo and behold, certain people started telling me stuff that they needed. And I knew people to get it. And I created a margin for myself. And then with that capital, I kept amassing like a Rockefeller, a family bank that I could now have the laws of attraction working towards my capital as well, because putting money in the bank attracts more money and being able to be a lender and not a borrower became a greater power to help people. And that's really the basis and advice that I give people. Right. That's a huge quote. I mean, that's something I, I, I think that's a quote I heard six or seven years ago, you know, rather than trying to be interesting, be interested. I, I forgot who said it. Do you remember who said it? You know, I, I learned it years and years ago from my brother. Like I said, I went to the hospital. He's a doctor doing his residency. And I told him, you know, I was pre-med. I told him I wanted to be a doctor, but I hated hospitals. And my brother said to me, David, you got to be more interested than interesting. And then later on in life, a guy named Mike Bosworth which was with solution selling, the big IBM selling, and then I think SPI bought them. He used to quote it as well in training as a way to sell, right? To in a consultative sale, to be more interested than interesting. But I don't know if it's uh, attributed to anyone in particular. 
Got it. Yeah, I do want to come back to your story. I mean, your your kind of rebirth story after the the, the bankruptcy and then what you did after, because I, I think there, there's always a lot to learn from from those um, experiences. But I, I guess what's your main focus right now? Because you're working on a bunch of different things, right? I want to talk about the main focus and kind of go a little deeper into that. Yeah. So my main focus is on my brand and using it as a bug light to transition interest to the sponsorship business and media business that we have. So my brand carries a top five podcast, a top digital business show. It carries my speaking, my books, as well as my business coaching. But all of those are to help people so that we can drive business via our media company and our sponsorship company. And all the things that I do have to have something to do with charity. So we have to be able to, or I won't do it. It has to have a, a component to give back or to be involved in some sort of charity. Great. So, I mean, what charities are you involved with right now? And why are charities so important to you? Well, because of the platform that I built, I'm involved in hundreds of charities, but I'm on the board or an advisor to some really nice ones. Uh, the first is I'm the chairman of the Unstoppable Foundation. I'm also a board member of the Crescent Moon Foundation, which is Warren's foundation to give scholarships to kids. I also sit on the board of the National High School Basketball Association and then work with Big Brothers, Big Sisters, Boys and Girls Club, St. Jude, variety of others. Like I said, hundreds of different charities that we raise money for. And because I do you know, have a book and speak. I do for every paid speaking engagement I give to corporations, I donate a speaking engagement to either schools or charities, uh, one for one. So keeps me on the road about a hundred dates a year, 50 paid and 50 unpaid. I love it. Yeah. So, so some people are probably thinking, oh, well, you know, charity, that sounds good, but what's in it for me from a business perspective? I, I guarantee you that that's some of the, the, the people are probably wondering that. So I, I guess, to me, I think there's a lot of indirect business benefits when you when you go to charity because of uh, you know the connections that you get. Obviously, you're doing a good thing too. But maybe you can talk about maybe some of the benefits you're getting from when you're when you're hitting charities because I think a lot of people are uh, maybe short term focused and they might not see the long term benefits. Yeah, I mean it's amazing how many people don't understand the idea of doing good deeds uh, in providing value. So a lot of people they actually get involved with charity for what they can get out of it. And I never give to get, uh, if you're giving to getting, uh, for getting sake, uh, it's not giving to me, that's trading. Uh, so the idea behind the charities for me is to be of service and to provide value. And I am quite confident in the universe that if I do everything that I can to provide value, I call it the 120 rule, meaning for every hundred dollars that I give that all I ask Bask is $20, right? So when I'm in business, I have to be able to come to a natural close of, can you see any reason you won't want to move forward? So when I'm providing value to the universe, I simply ask the universe for what I want back. And if I've had enough credit on that side, I'm going to have an empty space and the universe is efficient, effective, and statistically successful it's going to come back. The reason people don't get it is one, they don't trust in truth and they don't trust in good deeds or giving. And two, they don't know how to ask. It's not even, most people love to give. Most people, almost everybody loves to give because everybody feels good when you give. The giver feels good, the receiver feels good, and the witness feels good. And actually biochemically, serotonin's release, it actually makes them all happy. But even furthermore, where most people have a problem is they go ahead and give but they forget to ask. 
And it's just as important to give help as it is to ask for help. And so that goes along with the lines of having three mentors, being able to ask big. And it's so funny because even today I work on how big I ask. You know, I, I, I still have some sort of limiting belief or energy that I'm asking for too much. And I got to learn that just like, you know, the universe is, is a father that just wants to help their child. The universe wants to give me everything more than enough. And it's not healthy to live in a world of just enough or not enough. I got to live in an abundant universe, a, an abundant world of more than enough. Love it. Okay. Well, the other thing, I mean, actually it just came to mind, you said three mentors. And I, I think the one thing I look at, and I, I totally agree with the mentorship portion, but I come to think of it, it's like one of the guys, I have what, two or three right now, but they aren't necessarily where I want to go exactly. So let's say I want to become like a sports agent. Um, you know, I might go to like Jerry Maguire, right? Um, let's see, assume he's a real character. Or if I want to do, become like a software billionaire, maybe I go to Bill Gates or something. But, you know, the people I'm talking to, like one guy's in hardware, another guy's, you know, done like, you know, we'll just use the, the hardware guy as an example. My point is the mentors I have, they're not necessarily in the space that I want to be in, but I think there's a lot of wisdom. So are you saying that the mentors you get are people that are very specific as to where you want to be sitting exactly in 20 years, 30 years or so? No, I actually do it by issue. So I, I'm more in the mentorship realm that you are in. Mm. I look for people that sit in a situation, that sit in a situation, that have situational knowledge that I want to have. And so although you may be in an entirely different place uh, in industry, et cetera, you may have a relationship with money that I want to have. And so, although I have nothing to do with what you, I want to learn from you, your relationship with money, or another person may have a relationship with giving, or another person may have extreme knowledge of tax. Now I don't have a, a tax background, but I need mentorship. And a good example would have been when I was in real estate, I already own the golf course. I wanted to have and should have had a mentor that understood financing of golf courses, mm. right? And understand how I could leverage that asset in the most efficient, effective, and statistically successful way. Okay. And so how does one go about getting, so I, I mean, you know, tax, tax, taxes, uh, financing, you know, M&A and all that. How do you find these mentors? Yeah, be more interested than interesting. The best way to find a mentor is to do due diligence, ask people, who would you go to to help you with this? And then reach out to them. Most of the time it's with a referral because you're asking people, hey, do you know one that really knows about golf courses? And you'll be surprised the more that you ask people in the universe. I've had it several times where I was on exploration, more interested than interesting, going on Google, looking for someone that, that understand I wanted to write my first book. And let me give you a good example. So I wanted to write my first book. I went online. I was looking for all these different mentors to write a book. And then I started asking people, hey, do you know anyone that can help me write a book? Blah, 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 blah. And, and people were giving me people. And I just didn't get the right feeling for the right person. And then all of a sudden, I literally attracted a book agent because he came to me representing another guy because, you know, I, I represented athletes. He wanted me to represent one of his authors and then found out my background. And then I literally attracted 
And he, I told him I want to write a book like Think and Grow Rich. It's my favorite book by Napoleon Hill. And literally, he came, this guy was attracted to me. I didn't look for him. And there he was. And sure enough, he introduced me to the Napoleon Hill Foundation. And I got to sit down with Greg Reed, who in 10 minutes taught me exactly what I needed to do to write my book and then coached me and mentored me through a bestseller uh, that sells more every single year than it does the previous year. And I think it's one book that's the most like Think and Grow Rich that's out there. It's an evergreen book with a pragmatic, systematic way to both be successful in business and in life. I love it. Yeah, I mean, literally, I'm looking at you know everything that's happened so far in, in in life, and actually even recently, I'm just posting on Facebook, for example. Hey guys, do you know anybody that can help with uh, office wall art? Because we just moved into a new office, and literally 28 responses from people I never would have expected responses from. So I think it's unconsciously built in, but I think over, for a lot of people, you have to start to build that asking muscle to kind of get to where you are. And I, I think that's what because you're able to build that muscle, you're able to kind of recover onto. Well, I guess you're you're second fortune, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's a matter of understanding the conscious, subconscious and unconscious understanding to, you know, what to think, what to say, what to do. Also the subconscious side of what patterns are in my life that are subconscious beliefs, limiting beliefs. And then finally the duality of unconscious, you know, not only is there an energy that I carry that no matter what I think, say, and do and believe there's still an energy I carry that will attract the same relationships, the same obstacles, the same voids, the same shortages, and even the same addictions. And beyond that, I then look for patterns that also are in my legacy, in my genetic tree. And there's an exogenetic layer that I started to learn to activate and deactivate my DNA that was given to me by my parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents so that those traits that are genetic are turned off so that I can be more successful, more abundant, help more people, make more money, and have more fun. Wonderful. So... So let's just call this the chapter two for for David Meltzer. So, okay, the bankruptcy happens. Um, you have a clean slate now. What's going on through your head? And, and what's the story from that point um, onward? And I guess the condensed version. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that second chapter was number one, uh, you know, my wife saved my life. She's the one that recognized that I was doing the wrong things. And uh, although I didn't go bankrupt till two years after I've already went through my transformation, that I already started living with the four key values in life of gratitude, empathy, which is forgiveness, accountability, and effective communication, I started living my life praying that 10 people were in front of me every day that I could help. Everything I did had to have a charitable component or cause to it, uh, really focusing in on my core values, my personal values, my health, my family all of those things, my experiential values, learning from the past and being grateful for it and forgiving myself for it, being accountable in my giving and understanding, you know, the very first big check that I got, I went to my wife and I wrote a check to Warren's charity and I asked my wife, it was okay. Now you got to understand at the time I had three daughters, none of them grown up yet. So I had three colleges, three weddings, three graduate schools and didn't even have my fourth son yet. And yet I trusted the universe by giving and my wife was completely in support of the concept of, Hey, we are going to give, even though we are other people pragmatically would be scarce. We're going to be completely abundant and trust the fact that everything is going to come our way in the right way at the perfect time. Uh, so I ran 
the sports agency from there and uh, met Warren Moon, really started understanding the sports and entertainment business and how to build a brand. And so help build that Lee Steinberg brand and the Lee Steinberg himself and then Warren Moon and that brand and then Sports One Marketing. And now today, uh, as everybody got too old, I'm left the lone survivor at 50 years old with my own brand, uh, helping other people and, of course, asking big for myself so I can help more people. I love that. So how did you go about, okay, going into the sports one marketing as a company, right? Yes, correct. Okay. So how did you go about your resetting right now? How do you transition into sports one marketing? Did someone offer you the job? Like what happened there? Yeah. So Lee uh, was an alcoholic and uh, Warren Moon was a partner with me and he came in my office and said, Dave, we have to let Lee bottom out. I'd like to uh, start a company with you. Could you write a business plan? And I said, sure. So I wrote a business plan that is the basis of sports one marketing. And uh, then he offered me money to start the business. And I told him that I wanted to be 50-50 partners. Uh, and so I would make the company profitable without taking an initial investment, that we would make money, that all I would need is a three-month runway, a consulting fee to stabilize my family. And I would make enough money from there. After the first month, I was already paying uh, Warren, so he never wrote another check except for the first month consulting fee. And then uh, we had one employee, uh, which was Scott Carter, who was a baseball agent at Lee's. And Scott, Warren Moon, and myself started Sports One Marketing. And uh, you know today, growing as fast as we can within the traditional values that we want to hold, which are gratitude, empathy, accountability, and effective communication. Love it. And just for people that don't know, uh, Warren Moon is, he's a Hall of Fame quarterback, played for the Houston Oilers when they had the Oilers, now the Texans, uh, and a bunch of other teams. But I, I guess maybe another question for you is, how did you even go about meeting Warren in the first place? Yeah, he, he like I said, was a client and then a partner at Lee's. So my very first day at Lee's, I sat, my office sat between Warren Moon and Lee Steinberg. Great. So yeah, I mean, we're working towards wrapping up here. I think the story is incredible. I mean, you, you you built up to a $100 million fortune, you lost it all, and then you went on to build this other juggernaut, which now you say has you know shot way past um, what you were at before. So I, I think that's that's amazing. People will sometimes look at these values and be like, oh, gratitude, this stuff is all rah-rah, but I assure you that this is the stuff that really matters, and it's building good habits that, that work in the long term. So the you know, same thing that David's proved on his podcast. But David, what is maybe one new tool that you've added in the last year that's added a lot of a lot of value? So it could be like you bought a new bike, for example, or you downloaded this new app. Like what could you what could it be? You know, uh, the tool would be Rev. Uh, it's an app. Uh, Rev is an app that allows you to transcribe what you do. They they do it live or by technology. And so you know, for my blogs, my books, my speeches, my notes, I can actually just open up Rev and capture my ideas and codify them into print. And it's been a, a big thing. The biggest change or advice I give is be a student of your calendar. And uh, the past year, I really started studying my calendar. I've always looked at my calendar. I, I've always been good with my calendar. But when I started studying it, started studying every person that I was going to meet or could meet or wanted to meet and attract. Every person I was on the phone with, I wanted to be on the phone with or could attract. Every person I had to email and, and, and attract. And then finally, social media. And how it all was within the context of time 
and the calendar was the best way that I could be efficient and effective with my time. And it wasn't just what I was doing. It was the white space in my calendar that the stuff that I wasn't doing where I could use the open space to utilize efficiently, effectively, and statistically successful. So now I was maximizing my time being a student in my calendar, utilizing my 520 rule, which is, you know, I aim to keep every call at five minutes, every meeting at 20. That's my objective. And then furthermore, how it tied into the value justified 120 rule, which is I got to give a hundred dollar values if I'm going to ask for 20 back and then do it. Now I started because I understood my calendar and studied it, I could evaluate and prioritize, can I do this now? And always remember, if you can do something now, you save at least half as much time and are twice as statistically successful. So my first question when I have something to do is, can I do it now? And if I can, I do it. And if I can't do it now, it goes into a do it now folder. And because I'm a student in my calendar, I can prioritize that effectively. Great. That's wonderful. And so I, I do want to uh, give a chance to talk about your books as more, more towards the outro. So we'll get there. But what is, what is one must read book you'd recommend to everyone that is not one of your books? Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Every time I read Think and Grow Rich, I joke around, but I think I made a million dollars every time I read that book. If you haven't read it, it is a time held classic. Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Great. So, David, this has been great. What is the best way for people to find you online and uh, also your books? Yeah, perfect. The best way to find me is follow me at David Meltzer or just Google David Meltzer. Either way, you'll find everything that I have. But uh, a lot of people follow me at David Meltzer. I am on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, uh, and Instagram, of course. And my books are uh, the two that are out right now. I've written eight. Uh, I have a new McGraw-Hill deal. And so we'll be seeing a lot more books coming out, one with Jack Canfield next called Unstoppable. But uh, the books that are out are Connected to Goodness and Compassionate Capitalism. Wonderful. David, thank you so much for, for doing this. Oh, anytime, Eric. It's such a pleasure. And if anybody needs, just reach out. I'm of service. So I look forward to hearing from everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.